0: You're listening to the Theology Mom Podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager.
1: Krista, thank you so much for joining me. It's great to be here. So I am a huge fan of yours, as I was just telling you. I found you and your work at Theology Mom through Elisa Childers podcast and then found the work that you're doing with Monique at the Center for Biblical Unity and have just been one of the biggest fans since I ever found you guys. So thank you for all the work you guys are doing.
0: Wow, thank you. I'm so glad that you found us and and you've been in finding our work helpful. That's always my thing, is you know, I'm sitting here laboring in my living room. I'm hoping people are finding this helpful.
1: Oh my gosh. So, so vital and so critical in this time. I mean, it's just been so, it, the The topics you guys discussed are so relevant, which I really appreciate because it can be easy sometimes to talk about these very difficult, deep touchy topics from a sort of cerebral or, you know, a higher level and kind of a theoretical perspective. And, and that can be fun and easy, but when you have to bring it down to like breast tacks, it it stops being so fun and easy. So I appreciate that you guys really go there.
0: Yeah, I think that's a large part of what we feel like our calling is because mm-hmm. we both are deeply convicted that we want Christ to reign over our whole life. We don't mm-hmm. want just part of Christ over part of our life. Mm-hmm. We want all of Christ to reign over all of our lives. And we we do believe that scripture and theology has some very important and profound things to say about what we're going through right now in this mm. cultural moment.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly why I invited you to come talk because I know you have a lot of wisdom in this area of contrasting a biblical worldview with a secular or a, a kind of a modern worldview, if you will, of uh, how we're addressing various issues and themes and topics that we're all dealing with. And so you and I are going to talk about law today and how the a biblical Christian worldview understands law compared with the secular and a modern view of law. So yeah, before we I think, get has,
0: I think the law has fallen on some hard times. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm yeah. glad we're talking about it. I know.
1: Truly I it I I it's I know every generation thinks they're living through like the worst of times, you know, that's I've heard people say, you know, every generation thinks this that it's never been worse, it's the worst now that it's ever been. And I'm sure there's probably some truth to that but also some reality that it has been worse, <laughs> you know, If you even yeah. just thinking back to World War II or the Holocaust. I mean, it's been worse, you know. Yes. And so I, I'm grateful for some perspective there because sometimes I do get a little carried away and feeling like <laughs> this is the worst it's ever been. So starting off, can you give us a, a biblical definition and understanding of the law?
0: Yeah, and I think that the scripture is absolutely the right place to start. I like to say that the law in scripture is a reflection of God's eternal moral character. Sometimes we call this holiness. Uh, Sometimes the law in scripture is called commands. Sometimes it's called statutes. A really good place to go look is in Psalm chapter 19, Mm -hmm. starting in verses uh, 7 to 13, What's really fascinating about Psalm 19 is it lays out the two ways that God has revealed Himself. He's revealed Himself through through nature, and that's in Psalm 19, verses 1 to 6, and in Scripture, and that's the second half of Psalm 19. And I love the descriptions of God's law there, that it's good, it's perfect, it's trustworthy, it gives light to our lives. And so I think, like I said earlier, you know the idea of the law has kind of fallen on some hard times, even among Christians, Mm -hmm. but we want to have a heart that reflects that of following the pattern of King David, who says, Lord, I love your law. And so why did he love the law? And I think it's important to think and reflect on God's eternal moral character. What is he really like? Mm -hmm. And this, connects to conversations we're having right now in our culture about justice. If yeah. we're going to talk about justice and we know that God is a God of justice, we have to understand some things about how he defines justice. And the law is the case studies. It's the way that we know what God's standard of justice is.
1: hmm yeah, that's really helpful that it is, it it stems from who God himself is, which I think maybe a lot of us as believers didn't grow up even being taught it that way. It, it was like the law was something that God imposed upon you. It mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily flowing from him. It was sort of like this external thing that God just like places on you and now you have to do it.
0: Yeah, I think that 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 is a common misconception that we have even among conservative evangelicals. Mm -hmm. And so it it helps to understand kind of what I call treaties in in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we can break down the the idea of law a little further by looking at the law of Moses or what I call the Treaty of Moses and the law of Christ or the New Covenant or the Mm -hmm. Treaty of the New Covenant. And so a treaty is kind of a more modern word. I think it's kind of helpful. It's, it's an understanding of promises and conditions between two parties. So if you do these things, then we will provide protection. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that was what God came to the Israelites and said. And it's, there's actually a technical term for this in theology. It's called a suzerain vassal treaty. And the Mosaic law, it follows in the pattern of ancient Near Eastern suzerain vassal treaties. And a suzerain is just a $5 word that I paid a lot of money in seminary to learn Mm -hmm. of a king and a vassal, a servant. And so God comes along and he makes this treaty with the ancient Israelites. And he, he says, I'm the Lord your God who's bringing you out of Egypt. In other words, I'm rescuing you from slavery So I'm going to give you some stipulations, some conditions for this treaty. If you keep these stipulations, then I'm going to give you blessings. Mm. If you break them, then you will get curses. And Deuteronomy chapter 28 is a great place to read of those blessings and curses. So you do these things, you will prosper. You will live. You neglect to these things or you do other things, your life will wither and you will come under judgment. Well, when we get in the New Testament, we see a different treaty. Um, This is promised to us in the book of Jeremiah that God will make a new covenant, a new treaty with his people. Jesus says in Luke chapter 22 that he's making a a new covenant and he institutes the Lord's Supper and he gives what will be the, the commandments, the stipulations for his treaty and The moral character of God doesn't change. We don't have two gods. We don't have the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, the same God. So his moral character doesn't change. He still gives us commandments. We look in the new covenant. We still see we shouldn't steal. We -hmm. shouldn't lie. (laughs) We shouldn't murder. We shouldn't commit adultery. We still see that God's commandments, many of them are repeated under the new covenant treaty. We also see how Christ has fulfilled many of the Mosaic laws. He's the living temple. He's the great high priest. He's the once for all sacrifice. We read those in the book of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. So there's two major treaties in scripture and there's others. There's the Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant. We won't get into all those, but the two major ones, Mosaic and the one that we live under the treaty is the new covenant.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's so helpful how you just broke that down and, Gave us that background, because I think a lot of us, those of us who haven't been to seminary um, may not have really understood that that helps you put into context all these verses where we talk about, you know, you're no, no longer under the law and as a sinful human being you can go oh well, wait look well, i wasn't under a law what law are you talking about you know right. but when you're p- providing that historical context for how they would have understood that the israelites would have understood like they they would have known you know about for instance the mosaic law they they were living by it right. so it meant a lot to them that that they were expecting this this redeemer to come and free them from it right
0: yeah and you're quoting there um i believe from the first kind of verses of Romans chapter 7 mm-hmm. if people want to live uh, look that up and it says you know we're no longer under law but we're under grace. right And so many Christians will quote those verses and think, well then the law has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at the whole context of what scripture teaches. Mm-hmm. Um and I would like to draw our attention to a verse that we call the great commission, Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20 and we're familiar with this at least we should be that jesus sends out his disciples he says all authority under heaven has been given to me now and now you go and he's kind of insinuating there now you have authority i'm deputizing you you're my deputies you're going to have authority and Mm -hmm. you're going to go out into all the world and you're going to preach the gospel but he doesn't stop there he says teaching them to obey all of the commands that i've given you to the nations So there's an expectation that as the gospel goes out, Holy Spirit comes to live in us, that then there will be something we call discipleship. We will be taught the commands of Christ. Mm -hmm. And commands is really just another word for law, uh, if we were to look in the Old Testament. So what Jesus is saying there is you're not saved by the law. We don't earn our salvation. Rather, we receive God's gracious covenant, his gracious gift of salvation to us. That's what we call the gospel. Mm -hmm. But then we live out our life of holiness under his commands. And the law is what tells us how to live. So law doesn't go away (laughs) because Mm -hmm. we're Christians. We just have to make sure that we're relating to it properly and putting things in order. Yeah, that's
1: such a great point. There has absolutely been a shift in the church, because I think of a misunderstanding of the concept that you just explained for us and laid out for us that because of grace, because of the fact that we're no longer under the condemnation of the law, we're no longer under the law, you know, and now the law has
0: nothing to do with us, right? Like,
1: yeah, get that law away from me, you know, get that law out of my face. And like you just said, we need to understand ourselves rightly in relation to it, that it is not disappeared. It is no longer powerful to condemn us because of Christ. And so we do have great hope and we do have great freedom in that, but not freedom to completely reject the law, you know, and so that's where I think a lot of churches, a lot of um, individuals believe, I mean, maybe perhaps those who are young in their faith don't understand that concept or just never have had it explained correctly can easily get confused there.
0: Yeah, and it's really important because it is complicated. There's a lot of layers. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a non-Christian, the way that God's law relates to me is that it highlights my sinfulness I like to say it's sort of like a, a, a dark tool shed in your backyard. Mm-hmm. If you haven't been out there in the tool shed in a while and you open that door mm-hmm. and all the light comes in and you have a sh- bright flashlight, you start looking around for that, that tool that you're looking for, um, you're going to see cobwebs and bugs and hopefully not any rodents, but you might. You're going to mm-hmm. see some rusty tools. Everything starts to get revealed yeah. in the light that was hidden in the dark. And that's what the law does for the non-Christian. Mm-hmm. It reveals our sinfulness. Paul goes into quite a lot of detail about this in, in Romans chapter 7, about how the law highlights our sin. But it also is, has a second purpose in that it reveals God's standard of holiness. It shows us how far we've been separated from God, how far we fall short mm-hmm. of his glory, as it says in Romans. And then there's the Christian's relationship to the law. That's also multifaceted. We're not saved by the law, it says in the book of Galatians, but we are expected to obey God's Mm -hmm. law. So it doesn't save us. It's not powerful to save us. Holy Spirit saves us. That's the gospel. Okay, the gospel is what Christ has done on our behalf. Mm -hmm. But our obedience. Comes along in Matthew 28 19 and 20. It says, Make disciples, teaching them to obey Mm -hmm. all I have commanded you to do. So there is an obligation of obedience, an expectation Mm -hmm. of obedience that does require effort for us to meditate on his law, to understand it, and to conform our lives to it. So as we preach the gospel, We don't want to just stop with the gospel. We also want to disciple people on how to live holy lives Mm -hmm. and obey God's commands. And that is how communities transform and nations transform. So if we're going to talk about justice, we're going to have to talk about God's law because Mm -hmm. that's how the world becomes a better place. That's so true. When you were talking, I was thinking
1: of John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Right. And so that obedience is not supposed to flow out of just a legalistic, you know, obedience of the law for the law's sake, but out of a love for God because of what he's done for us, because of what you were talking about, the gospel and being saved by Christ and him fulfilling that law perfectly that we never could. We love him and we want to obey. We're going to fail, but we want to do that because we love him.
0: And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Because the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit changes our hearts. He changes our desires. So things that we didn't used to want, now we should want. And so I think often we get caught up. I always hear people say that, you know, like, well, we're never going to obey it perfectly. Okay, so we're not. But we ought to see an increasing obedience over time. We ought to see changes in our lives over time. I love the old hymn. Some of your some of your listeners might know the old hymn, Trust and Obey. It's one of my favorites. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Mm-hmm. That is like the perfect summary of the Christian life. We yeah. trust in God's work through his son, Jesus, on the cross. And I trust that the Holy Spirit now lives in me. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I express that by obeying, by meditating and reflecting on the commands of Christ Mm -hmm. and bringing my life into submission to those things. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. As you were talking there, uh, you know, that we're not no longer under the law is in Romans eight, where Paul says, what then should we sin? Because grace abounds, you know, do we sin all the, all the more? And he says, absolutely not. You know, that's that's, right. That's that's that's, Romans
0: six, I believe right at the beginning. Yeah
1: yeah, absolutely not. I mean, by no means, I think is his is yeah. his exact phrasing. And yeah, it's just powerful when you understand the motivation. And I think I grew up very legalistic just as a child, like that was my bent. You know, maybe some of us it lean more on the the side of licentiousness, which we'll talk about in a minute. But yeah. I just grew up very legalistic and really wanted to follow the rules, really wanted to do a good job, um, sure. held other people to the standard that I held myself to, or even a higher one, of course, as legalists tend to do. And, you know, and I think I missed that for so many years, probably the first two and a half decades of my life, you know, kind of thinking that it was going to be my adherence to, or um, in my my improvement, my getting better or doing better, yeah. that was going to make me right. And even though I would have never admitted that verbally, I would have said, I don't believe that. Like I know I've been saved by Jesus. I lived in such a way that showed that I really thought it was on me. I didn't really live under grace because I was obeying out of fear. And then when I messed up, I had to run away. I had to actually um, hide from God in a sense, just kind of the same way Adam and Eve did in the garden because I had failed. And so there wasn't this ability to go, oh, I messed up. I need to come back to you. It was like, I messed up. I need to hide. And so that was a just my own, you know, kind of experience with the law was, man, it is not a good way to live. It's not a good, right. not a good thing and to live
0: it, under. Yeah. And that's perfect because apart from Christ, the law will condemn us. Mm-hmm. It'll turn into rule following. It'll turn yeah. into like, well, I want to stay in God's good graces. And this is where we have to really carefully differentiate between law and gospel, Mm -hmm. And I see that there is a massive conflation that's happening, especially in conversations about social justice right now, where the law and the gospel are being conflated as being the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I see many Christians are very confused about this point because they will think that, well, the law is just rule following. It's just rote, you know, and it has nothing to do with the heart. Well, may it never be. <laughs> yeah. May we all be like Zacchaeus. I did a, a live stream recently about Zacchaeus and what a wonderful role model he is, that he was so gripped by the good news, by the gospel of Jesus, that then he responds by wanting to live according to God's justice standards. And that is the perfect example of one has to come before the other. We don't yeah. we can't get them mixed. And The gospel is what Jesus did for me. First Corinthians 15 talks about how, you know, just a very rudimentary definition of the gospel are the historical events surrounding the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Okay. That's the gospel. It's what Jesus did for me Mm -hmm. to bring me into a covenant relationship with the father. All right. The law is how I love God back. It's my response of gratitude and how I love my neighbor. Mm -hmm. Now, many people right now are talking like the gospel. You'll hear this all the time. (laughs) The gospel is love God and love your neighbor. No, it's not. That's Mm -hmm. law. Mm -hmm. Love is law, not gospel. Hmm. Love is law. It's commands and the way that we know how to love our neighbor or how to love God is through the law. It spells out the details, but that is not the gospel. Justice Mm -hmm. is law, not gospel. Okay, so we have Mm -hmm. to keep these things straight. We have to understand that gospel is the good news of what Jesus did for me to bring me into a covenant relationship with the Father. If you remember back to what I said earlier about treaties, okay? Mm -hmm. He rescued me, just like God rescued Israel. And he's saying, now you're in a covenant relationship with me. Here are the stipulations. Here are, here's the laws, the commands, the statutes, whatever you want to call them, all right? And if you obey me, then these are the, the blessings that will come to you. If we follow God's patterns of holiness, the wisdom in the book of Proverbs, for example, our life will go better. (laughs) If we follow God's laws and we do things like we stay out of debt, that's part of God's law. If we extend kindness to our neighbor, when we act with patience, when we act with humility, these are all part of God's law. This is how we love our neighbor. So loving our neighbor is not this nebulous idea where i just cosign on all their sin that's mm-hmm. not god's standard of justice that's mm-hmm. not the law it's things more like the fruit of the spirit it's things that get spelled out and then there's a ton of case studies in the mosaic law that really start to spell it out even more of what god's heart actually is for people that we don't go to courts of law and, and lie on the witness stand that we treat our elders in a certain way, that we treat each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord a certain way. These are all of God's instructions. And if we do these things, Mm -hmm. we will have a happier, healthier, more life-giving experience in our lives. Yeah. Wow. That is just so, so helpful
1: how you explained love is law, not gospel. I don't think I've ever even heard that, but it's so helpful to understand it in in context guys i'm gonna be honest back to school has left me just a little bit stressed out i have two pickups and drop-offs and so when i get home from picking up my girls in the afternoon that time before eating dinner and figuring out what we're going to eat that night is critical prep dish is making mealtime so much less stressful for me if you have not heard of prep dish let me explain You prep your meals for the entire week ahead of time in just a couple hours on your designated day and time. PrepDish gives you everything you need. They give you recipe ideas, shopping lists, prep ahead instructions for each meal. And then every night of the week, you have a simplified, quick and healthy weeknight meal that you can prepare in less than 30 minutes. Best yet, the founder Allison is giving Kindled listeners a two week free trial to try out Prep Dish and see if it could work for you and your family. You have nothing to lose. Try this out. I think you're going to find that it's actually completely genius, the system that Allison has set up, and the way that you prep everything. It just makes so much sense. I don't know why I didn't think of it, but, you know, I'm glad she did. So head to PrepDish.com slash Kindled to get your two-week free trial. Try it out. Let me know what you think. Um, They also send amazing recipe ideas that this week I'm trying. They're very, very Muffins and their almond butter energy bites. There's just so many great resources on prepdish.com. So head to prepdish.com slash kindled to get your two-week free trial for kindled listeners. Okay, back to my conversation with Krista. I have a question for you. So then, you know, you just got me thinking. I want to ask you about this. This is a kind of a hot phrase that we've heard around at our churches or in our small groups or on social media racial reconciliation is a gospel Mm -hmm. issue or social justice is a gospel issue. And you were just describing the difference between law and gospel and how we treat each other, how we, how we love one another and love our neighbors actually falls under the law. So I'm curious, how, how would you respond to a statement like that? Racial reconciliation is a gospel issue.
0: Yeah, let's do that one first. It's perfect. This is a great example. So in Christ, we find that Ephesians 2 says a lot about this, if you want the longest discourse about it, that in Christ, we are unified. Christ has done everything necessary to bring us together as his people. There is no racial things in scripture. People weren't divided according to skin color in the Bible. That's it's a fairly um, new idea to divide people according to skin color. Now, people did recognize one another as having different nations of origin and ethnicity and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But the idea of skin color really doesn't factor in scripture. It just doesn't seem to be a way that they organize themselves. Mm-hmm. Rather, the way that they organized themselves was Jew-Gentile. That, that was really the primary way of organizing people. Mm-hmm. And in Ephesians 2, Paul just gives a beautiful d- theological discourse there that that has been abolished. So whatever, whatever divisions there were among humans, because all humans are created in the image of God, but only Christians are children of God. And so when we come to be children of God, when we come into that covenant relationship with the father that I was talking about earlier, we are immediately all family. We are immediately all brothers and sisters. Everything has been accomplished that needs to be accomplished in order to have unity in the body of Christ when it comes Mm -hmm. to different people groups. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I would say no racial reconciliation is not a gospel issue because it's already happened. There is nothing we must do to be unified. We are unified. That is our come from, it is our foundational assumption about one another. Mm -hmm. So whatever has been broken between us and the world has been repaired in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we're all equal at the foot of the cross. We all are sinners. Sin is the one thing that is absolutely universal in the human condition. And Jesus is absolutely the one cure that all humans need. Mm -hmm. And so in Christ, everything has happened that needs to happen in order to cause us to be unified. Then if we turn the page of the book of Ephesians to chapter four, it says basically now that you're unified, now here's how you keep unity, okay? Here's what you must do. And his list is interesting, and it's very different than what our culture is telling us and what many of our pastors are telling us right now. What we must do to stay unified is be patient and humble and gentle We must be generous in our forgiveness and our love. And so fascinating, the ground of unity, how we keep unity, is through doctrine. It's teaching doctrine. It's knowing what we believe and why we believe it. And this is all law. These are all commands. Mm -hmm. This is what we must do to keep the unity. So Mm -hmm. there's no like machinations we have to go through in order to get to reconciliation. If we're in Christ, we are reconciled. That is our reality. Mm -hmm. If we want to keep that unity, very simple. We are kind to each other. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We help each other. We are in the body together. We are brothers and sisters first. Mm -hmm. This is our identity. We have a new identity. Mm -hmm. So that would be my answer to to that. Mm -hmm. Is that helpful?
1: Yes, that's very helpful. I think I wish uh, most pastors could explain it so clearly. (laughs) I think you're, I I mean, I think you just laid it out totally clearly. And I think the beautiful thing about it is that that actually draws you towards your brother and sister of a different skin color. You are, you are drawn into relationship by that reality. You are not pushed away. You are not given a, a bunch of measures or bars that you have to first meet in order to, Enter into some sort of community or union with them. Okay, well, you've got to get to you know hit this bar first in order to achieve this status or this level of knowledge or um, mm-hmm. achievement before this level I let of repentance you repentance
0: or this level of whatever right. the that standard is. Right, that Christ unified us because he's, of his work he's, on that the cross. is already a reality. We don't have yeah. to fight for it. We don't have to make something mm-hmm. happen. It's already there. We just walk in it. Yeah, and I think that one of the interesting things about Christianity in the early church is that it, it was such a unique movement because it took people from all different socioeconomic backgrounds, all different nations and ethnicities, Mm -hmm. and it put them all in the same room. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And they were all unified in the spirit realm. Something happened in the spirit realm to all of a sudden make all of these people family. Yeah. And- That is the same ground that we have today. Now, I'd love to talk about your second kind of quote there about Mm -hmm. social justice uh, being a gospel issue. That's a perfect example of what I'm talking about when I'm mentioning the mixing of law and gospel, the Mm -hmm. conflation of law and gospel. Mm -hmm. Justice is law. If I want to know what God considers just, I have to look in the law. I have to look at what he wants me to do. Mm -hmm. The gospel is the good news that what God did for me to bring me into that covenant relationship with him. The law then gives me the stipulations of this is how to be a righteous person. This is how to humbly serve the God who saved me. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, Just, you know, when I look at the Old Testament law, which I look at as being, again, like case studies, we're not under that treaty. It was a treaty for the ancient Israelites, but it sure gives me a lot of insight into God's heart Mm -hmm. for how to interact with people. Just one example, as part of the Mosaic law, if you owned land, which I want to say private property rights is a foundational assumption of God's justice system. It, when the command says do not steal, mm-hmm. it's assuming somebody owns something, okay? Right. When there's a command of not coveting, it's somebody owns something and it's not mine, all right? <laughs> right. So private property rights are part of God's standards mm-hmm. of justice. Our culture right now is saying, no, property rights don't matter, okay? I can just go loot. I can take things. Mm-hmm. God's standard of justice says no. That's justice. That's, That's, I'm going to take, I'm going to
1: get my justice.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And that's not how justice works. So Mm -hmm. if we're a Christian and we're going to think in a Christian way about justice, we got to look at the law. Mm -hmm. And the law tells me what justice is. It's not stealing and it's not coveting. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there's no stipulation that says, well, it's okay to steal from rich people. They have enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's nothing like that. Right. Right. The land, if somebody's a landowner and they grow their crops, to be a righteous person was to leave some of the crops behind for the poor. Mm-hmm. But the poor still had to come do the work of harvesting the crops. There mm-hmm. wasn't a, a food barn where the poor just sort of show up and get the food.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because another part of God's justice system is human dignity, and mm-hmm. human dignity is tied to work. work is intrinsic to what it means to be a human person we see that in genesis chapters one and two that even before the fall god makes the man to work the garden and to rule the creation that's why we were made Mm -hmm. so when we rob when we we don't have people work we are robbing them of their dignity Mm -hmm. their image of god so if we want to act in a just way according to God's justice standards, not human standards, then we need to advocate to preserve work because work is part of human dignity. That's just one example of what I mean when I'm talking about we have to look to the law to understand justice, but Mm -hmm. none of that is the gospel. It's just an expression of how God wants his people to live righteously. Yeah. So would you say that, you know, a
1: statement like that is on, on its face incorrect? Or would you say, yeah, so you would just say that's, that's not, not correct.
0: No, not correct. It's a a clear, um, well-intentioned, but highly contradictory statement to scripture. And if your pastor is telling you that, it might be time to look for a new church.
1: (laughs) Well, I did. (laughs) So yeah, that's helpful. I I, I think, yeah, like you said, well-intentioned, you know, we can, we can appreciate the heart behind absolutely trying to say, I I think if I had to guess what they're saying, they're probably trying to say, because of the gospel, we should seek justice, like Micah 6, yes. 8, we should seek justice, or uh, do justice, love mercy, yes. and walk humbly with our God. And our motivation would be because of what Christ has done for us. So he loved, absolutely. he first loved us, we should love others. And we would not argue with that Of one iota. That's absolutely true. Absolutely
0: true. As long as we're defining justice. Because here's what's happening in our culture right now. Since you're doing a series on like kind of a biblical Mm -hmm. view of things versus the world's view, yeah. What's happening is uh, there's a lot of Christians right now that are very animated about talking about justice. Yeah. And they'll quote these these passages from the prophets about how God loves justice. He's a god of justice. I don't disagree with any of that, but they almost never define it. Mm -hmm. And you'll, you'll listen to them. They have almost no specifics. In order to get to the specifics, in my opinion, you have to go look at the law. Mm -hmm. That's where God lays out his standard, his measuring rod of what justice looks like. Mm -hmm. It's not enough just to quote prophets that use the word justice, 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 and then go out into the culture and say, oh, here, they're talking about justice too. These Mm. must be the same things. They're not. (laughs) Because our culture is telling us looting is okay as long as the the victim is rich. Mm -hmm. That's not according to God's justice standards. Right. That's a completely arbitrary standard made
1: by man, made by whoever's making it for whatever reason they want in the, in the moment. So, yeah, that's... And and at the same time, violating multiple other of God's commands, like do not steal, do not covet, you yes. know, all of those other things. So yeah, yes. you don't get two, you don't take two wrongs to make a right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. That was really helpful. Thanks for going there in that example. Let's see. So we've talked a lot about how the Christian understands the law from a biblical worldview. So hopefully that is clear now. But what about the world? What about those non-Christians who aren't abiding by that don't see it that way what is their relationship to the law
0: yeah that's a great question i think that many non-christians think of the word law and they they think it as a very negative connotation even if we're not talking about biblical law uh they they look at it as being something that constrains them it limits their freedom it limits what they can do um they see it if you have a conversation with a non-christian about what the bible has to say or God's commands, they will look at that often as, well, that limits my freedom. I just want to be able to, to do whatever I want to do. But the thing is, here's the thing that's so interesting to me about this is that really the law is inescapable because everybody yeah. will define what is good, true, or beautiful some kind of way. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to answer The question, what is good, true, or beautiful? Yeah. The critical question is, what is the standard that you're using to answer that question? Mm -hmm. And when I talk to people, when I talk to non-Christians, this is a great question that you can use with them. You can, you can, you know, use it gently and, and just say, Well, I, you know, I'm I'm curious. You seem to have a belief that it's more virtuous to recycle than it is to throw trash on the ground. I mean, Mm -hmm. we'll just pick some arbitrary example of whatever it is that you're talking to your friend about. Just notice what they are calling good Mm -hmm. or right, all right? And then you can just ask them, what is your standard for that? What is your standard for saying that racism is wrong? Mm -hmm. What is your standard for saying that looting is okay? Because the, the law is inescapable. Everybody." Mm-hmm. has to answer the question what is good, true, or beautiful, some kind of a way yeah, the only question that matters is what standard are you using? and there's really only a few options available, and you have to help people think about this mm-hmm. um because they're not aware of the standard that they're using. They're either using themselves <laughs> because this is what I think that yeah. that's how they arrive there or they're using this standard of consensus. this is what our country says is. Is good, or this is what our country says is legal, or this is what my tribe, my racial tribe says is good. Or they can use God's standard of justice. Those are really the major options that are available: Mm -hmm. is myself, consensus in a group, or scripture. But most people have never thought about this. Mm -hmm. They aren't even aware of what standard they're using to to answer the question, what is good, true, or beautiful? So you have to help them with that and to help them see that living by law is inescapable. We all have laws. We all have things that are right or wrong. If you go talk to somebody who's a Black Lives Matter supporter, they have a whole moral code. Mm -hmm. They think that certain things are right and other things are wrong. They think some things are true and some things are false. Mm -hmm. Great. How did you arrive there? Yeah. We can't escape the law. We're all going to answer those questions some kind of way. Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: As you were talking, I thought of Romans 2.15 that says, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and even and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them, mm-hmm. so that's exactly what you were saying that man has the law of God actually written on his heart, which is our conscience, which tells us you know that we know something is wrong, and you can certainly sear your conscience so bad conscience so badly by doing the same thing over and over, and you start feeling like it's not wrong, or you can justify it with either that personal. Um, set of standards or your tribal set of standards, whatever, and then you can find ways around your conscience, which you're bound by. But, um, but yeah, but God made us this way. We don't get to. We don't get to escape the box that He's placed us in and say, "I reject that. I'm not going to operate by that." No, not for me. It's it's impossible. Like we can't even think our way around it. It's sort of like how we can't mentally grasp infinity. We can't ever fully put a finger on what eternity means. You know, how did God always exist and always will exist? We don't you yeah. know, we can't fully grasp it. So we also can't work our way um, ideologically outside the box that he's placed us in of being bound by laws of both his law and conscience. And so that's helpful. I have a question in relation to that that I think comes up a lot. You hear, even I've had this conversation with Christians, surprisingly, who would say, you know, okay, yeah, Haley, I agree with you that abortion is murder. But I don't think we should legislate morality. Mm-hmm. I hear Christians say that. And, mm-hmm. and it blows me away because my response is, but someone's going to, (laughs) like someone's going to legislate morality, which is exactly what you just said. So why shouldn't it be you? Why shouldn't it be the Christian adhering to God's perfect standard and perfect laws saying, no, this is where we draw the line. This is murder. This shouldn't be legal. Why do we submit to the world in that and say, well, you know, that's just my own personal Christian standard. I'm not going to legislate your morality. What are your thoughts on that, that issue?
0: Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, okay i I think what i'd probably do in that situation is say okay well it's an interesting perspective let me let me see if i understand what you're saying would you say that it's okay to legislate that people who kidnap another person should go to jail that that's something that should be punishable as a crime they'll probably say oh yeah that would be horrible uh what about child molesters should we put child molesters in jail oh yeah that would be terrible Mm -hmm. Okay, so why? What would be your 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 standard for Mm -hmm. saying those are things that we should put, we should punish people for, but we're not going to try to protect the unborn? What would be the the difference in those? And I would just try to press in because we legislate morality all the time. (laughs) We we say that marijuana
1: is illegal somewhere. Yeah, I mean,
0: in our in our housing development here, we have. We have rules about what color you can paint your house. Right, the Rules are everywhere. And some group of people, by consensus, decided we're going to allow these paint colors to, to be used in, in the development. Well, that's sort of a standard. That, that's, it, it's a standard of saying this is what's going to be allowed. And if you deviate from that, it's not allowed. I no. mean, we legislate. You'll get a letter, and you'll yeah, have you'll to get a very it. nice letter about changing yeah. your paint. Right. Uh, but we do that all the time about everything, and yeah. so to say that well, we shouldn't legislate abortion, I find that to be completely arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Will we legislate everything else? And mm-hmm. this brings me back to Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and twenty, where is if we are doing our job in the Great Commission. And we are also discipling people to obey all of Jesus's commands. This is how nations and cultures change is when we do this. Let me just give you one example. There's a mission agency. We're actually going to have a representative from them on our podcast in a few weeks that they do ministry in Cambodia. And they went into a city that was formerly one of the biggest sex tourism capitals of the world. And people wow. would fly there from all over wealthy countries to rent children mm. to have sex with them. Yeah. Okay, now we think that that's just gross, right? We think that that's, that's horrible. And, but why? Why is that horrible? In their country, in their worldview, that's karma. Those people are getting what they deserve. Mm. So, what makes me say renting children for sex is gross. It's wrong. Okay. And in their, but in their culture, you can actually get more money for a girl than a boy. And that's actually a good. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we arrive at a standard for what is good? Yeah. All right. If we don't have scripture, we are left to cultural consensus. Mm-hmm. So in comes some Christians, and they start saying, we're going to start teaching all these people that they're created in the image of God. We're going to start introducing a new worldview, that they're not in their situation because of karma. Rather, they are valuable. They have value, dignity, and worth. They don't deserve to be sold into sex trafficking, and we're going to set up job programs to train them how to have a profession. Okay. That's God's standard of justice. That's following God's law. That's bringing his commands to bear on a culture, right? And so now what's happened in that city? Well, now entire city blocks have changed. That city no longer is a major tourist destination for sex tourism. The, The leaders in the town who are of another religion have now even recognized that what these Christians are doing is good people are coming to faith churches are being planted lives are being transformed so how did they do this they didn't come in and just try to change a bunch of laws first what they did was they came in they tried to start changing the worldview they confronted the worldview which is exactly what we see in the book of acts paul comes into the city of ephesus he starts preaching the gospel and immediately the culture starts changing the people who are making idols, the artisans saying, wait a minute, we don't want him here. This is going to destroy our livelihoods. The, the temple of Artemis is going to be threatened. Our religion is going to be threatened. Our culture is going to be threatened. That's exactly right. The gospel is terribly disruptive to culture. It confronts cultural lies and people ought to never be the same. Our problem as Christians right now, quite honestly, is that we don't want to live according to God's law because we don't want to be noticed. We want to be more like the world. We want to blend in. There's a saying now, we want to earn the right to preach the gospel. Mm. I take issue with that. Mm. We, We ought to be discipling people according to God's laws because that is what will change cultures. Wow. I don't know, i'm I'm hoping that will be helpful. <laughs>
1: yes, oh my gosh, that's so helpful. That's so good. I've heard that saying. I mean, um I know young life ministry uses that saying with in regards to earning the right to be heard with um, high schoolers, which perhaps it's meant in a different way. like you have to yeah. pour into their lives and you have to, you know, be their friend before you get to preach at them. but i I really love how you just brought that out and explain that. It's just so powerful that nobody you shouldn't be the same when you hear it. Man, yeah. that is so good. So let's discuss legalism versus versus licentiousness. And um, if you could provide kind of a definition, because sure. I even used the word earlier without a definition, but if you could kind of give us an understanding of what those two things are.
0: Sure. Yeah. And that's a very important conversation. So I'm glad that you brought that up so we can really understand more about our relationship to God and to the law. So legalism is, this is how I define it is man-made laws, laws that God hasn't commanded. So we just make stuff up (laughs) and then we put that on people, you know, and, and oftentimes legalism can be very uh, well-intentioned, but I think that it's, it's important to differentiate between God's law and man's law. All right. And I see a lot of this happening right now in our culture of, especially around the conversation of loving our neighbor like everything now can just fall under the umbrella of loving our neighbor everything's Mm -hmm. a gospel issue yes and and we're supposed to have gospel issues about whether or not i wear a mask that's a gospel issue and and it's all about loving our neighbor and so then we Mm -hmm. make up these laws these rules Mm -hmm. sensibilities whatever you want to call them Mm -hmm. and if people don't get on board with it then we say well, something's wrong with you. You're not loving your neighbor, right? No. Mm-hmm. And the, it was a very important to differentiate between man-made laws and and laws that God has commanded. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, this was the this was the problem of the Pharisees. The problem of the Pharisees was not that they were that they were trying to understand the law that wasn't the problem. The problem was, is that they had God's laws and then they had all these man-made laws about how to live them out,
1: Mm -hmm. you
0: know, and that's was the problem. So when I look at legalism, I don't, I don't look at it as, as the problem being the law. In fact, in the book of Romans, there's quite a long discussion in Romans seven about how the law is good and it's holy and, and all of this. And the, problem isn't with the law. The problem is with us, right. the sinner. Right. And so legalism, our tendency is that we want to make up laws mm-hmm. and then force people and bind their consciences to that. Mm-hmm. Licentiousness is sort of at the other end of the spectrum where we're just willy-nilly breaking God's laws. We don't really care. I don't really care about God's law and and it can't inform my life. I don't have to conform to the law. So to me, those are kind of both on the spectrum. Now, I think the way you were using legalism earlier was sort of more of a merit-based yeah, effort for sure. to try to earn God's favor or attention mm-hmm. or stay in good standing with him. Personally, I don't define that as legalism, but I know mm-hmm. that many people do and we could have, that would be a fun conversation yeah. to come up with. Might not have been the what, best what is that, that description? Yeah, maybe more of a law lover. <laughs> yeah, and, and and some of us, we all struggle that, with that as sure. children, I think. We, yeah. we want to please our parents. We want to follow the rules, some of us more than others, but <laughs> uh, um, I don't think that that is legalism per se. I, mm-hmm. I think a better definition is is man-made laws okay. so?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, legalism is, and this is what will come up, especially with progressive Christians. The minute you start talking about the law, they'll say, "Well, that's legalism, that's mm-hmm. legalistic." Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no, <laughs> we are supposed to obey God's laws. We right. and, and loving our neighbor is not just some vague thing that we can kind of put everything under that umbrella. Pull anything out of the sky and say it's yeah, loving your here neighbor. It is. Here's, here's <laughs> loving your neighbor. Do this, and that's what it looks like today. Yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's not helpful. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but we see that happening everywhere. And it's it goes back to again, by what standard? By yes. what standard? Are we are we told to love our neighbor? What does that look like? Well, exactly. today, it looks like wearing a mask. And if you don't, you don't love your neighbor and you hate your grandma. So yeah, now I have defined you as a hateful murderer. And so exactly, you know. Um, yeah. So what about licentiousness?
0: I think licentiousness is really, like I said, on the other side of that spectrum of just not caring about God's okay. laws. And I think yeah. that's where many in our culture are today is, well, mm-hmm. I don't really care what God's word has to say. Yeah, But I see this in the church too. We used to call this in theology, the authority of scripture that we have, if if God is the author of scripture and he is our creator, he has authority over us. And the scripture is how he has chosen to reveal him, himself and his, his standards of justice and mm-hmm. his standards of holiness. Um, and so we are expected to conform our thoughts, our feelings, our opinions to God's word. Mm-hmm. And if we don't do that, if we just say, I don't care, I don't care what God says about not fornicating, I'm going to do it anyways because that helps make my life fulfilling, that would be an example of licentiousness, of just breaking God's laws. Yeah. Does that help? Okay.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, that is helpful. The last question I, I want to ask you is what are some ways that we see a, a hatred of God and his law being worked out today in the world? Because um, the yeah. Bible does tell us that apart from Christ, that, you know, because of our flesh, we do hate, we do hate the law. And we we are bound under that old covenant of, you know, being in the flesh and without Christ, making us new, transforming us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a different story. And so, so when yeah. we look at the world, we, we're seeing that. We're actually seeing that play out. But what are some of the ways that we see that working out today in the world?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I might just offer like a little bit of a clarification. I wouldn't say that the non-Christian is under the old covenant. What I would say is that they're in Adam. Okay. We see that in Romans chapter five. We see that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are in Adam and in Christ. Mm -hmm. So God doesn't separate us according to race. He he separates us according to in Adam or in Christ. Yeah. And so those of us, those humans that are in Adam are still created in God's image. They still have dignity. They still ought to have a a level of value and worth and, and equality under the law. But at the same time, we see that apart from the Holy Spirit, their lives can really go, if you remember earlier, uh, the curses of of the covenant, you know, that they're not going toward life, they're going toward death, they're Mm -hmm. going toward an unproductive life, living in a way that they weren't designed to live. A great place to see this is in Romans chapter 1. And what's so interesting to me in Scripture is that, Those when we break God's laws, when we're in Adam, we are still held accountable. We will be held accountable for that, and those are the curses. You know, so Mm -hmm. if the eternal curse is is that of of hell and separation from our Creator for all eternity, and so when we read in Romans chapter one about people giving themselves over to lusts and uh, their bodies and just fornicating committing adultery engaging in homosexuality but also fits of anger and gossip and stealing these are all things that are lawless ways that the world acts those who are in Adam they don't have the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to live in them that those are in Christ so when we see in addition to Romans 1 another great place to look is Galatians um, I believe it's chapter five where it compares and contrasts The deeds of the flesh which is another way of saying in adam it's another another Mm -hmm. term of the deeds of the flesh and the deeds of the spirit sometimes we call those the fruit of the spirit so the deeds of the flesh are ways that we see people living out today you know fits of rage anger jealousy division drunkenness idols homosexuality so there's a lot of these lists in the scripture well If you notice in the prophets, in the Old Testament, God doesn't just judge Israel. And they have all the laws. They have all the revelation of of the Mosaic law. He also judges the nations because Mm -hmm. they have also broken his laws. Read the book of Amos. Uh, Judgment comes against the nations. Our family just read in our devotions uh, the other day, the book of Nahum, about God's judgment against Nineveh. And so god's judgment is coming whether or not we obey if if we don't obey his laws his judgment is coming it may not be tomorrow Mm -hmm. but it will come and he holds the non-christian accountable for what is in his law the law is inescapable yeah
1: wow that's powerful And that brings to mind the verse, um, you might know the reference, uh, because of what we see in his creation, that mankind is without excuse. Uh, That's Romans chapter one. Yeah. Okay. So we already kind of, I think we referenced that. Yeah. Which is a a sobering reality, you know, just to, to understand that what we have been saved from is the wrath of a perfectly holy and righteous God yeah but those who don't know him those have, who do not have the blood of Christ applied to their account who have not been made new do not have that and so it does help you understand some of the craziness that we see happening today in the world some of the um i would even go so far to say idiocy that we that we're witnessing and beholding you know hearts darkened by sin minds yeah. uh, and and eyes blinded unable to see the truth so Man, I just feel like there's so much here that you gave us. Um, Is there anything else final that you'd like to kind of add in as we're closing up?
0: Well, I just want to invite everybody to get connected with me at my website, TheologyMom.com. Once again, my name is Krista Bontrager, and uh, you can also tune into our weekly live stream. It's called All the Things And I do that with my podcast and ministry partner, Monique Toussaint. She's the founder of Center for Biblical Unity. I know she's been featured on your podcast before. And so people may have heard of her. And she is somebody who came out of critical race theory. And we um, engage in a lot of conversations about justice and, and racial unity from a distinctly biblical point of view. So just invite people to come be part of the conversation with us. Yes. Thank
1: you. I'm so glad you did. It's, it's awesome. Your guys' show is one of my favorites. So I, I have a very short list of favorites. I've got Just Thinking and you guys, and um, I love it. It's so Yeah. It's we love so our fun. friends at Just Thinking. Yeah. They're incredible, man. Well, Krista, thank you so much for your wisdom and sharing this with us. I know this is going to be so helpful for so many listeners who are trying to understand how to look at the law in a biblical worldview. And yeah, you gave us a great overview. So thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Don't forget to leave a review for the podcast if you have not done that. I love hearing from you guys and read every single one. And then come find me this week on Instagram at hayleywilliams.kindled. Love to chat with you and say hi. You can find show notes at kindledpodcast.com and join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash kindledpodcast. Okay, guys, have a great week and I will see you on Wednesday if you're in Patreon and next Monday, if not, have a great week, guys.
0: Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening.